Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. So we've been on this uh, exploration, let me call it that, of, of looking at how going through the current times that we're going through and the turmoil that it feels like there's in the earth. Um, you know, have you ever known a time like this? Sure, I grew up in a time like this. I was a, you know, uh, I mean, it's, it's hard to fathom, but I was one of those little elementary kids that you had to practice uh, atomic bomb dropping drills in which you crawled under your desk and put your hands over your head. Talk about terrifying a six-year-old with the future and what's going to happen. So, uh, you know, I think at the times I sort of thought it was stupid, but it also really scared the bejeebers out of me and all that. So have we known this kind of turmoil before? Of course. And the generation that Americans often call the greatest generation, the one just before my time, uh, man, they lived through two world wars and a depression <laughs> sandwich in between, you know? Talk about inflation. Uh, you know, around, around the world, it was, it was horrendous. So one time uh, back in, it would have been t- the winter of 2010, when God interrupted my life with a new understanding and a reapplication of the message of the grace of God, he took me through a little, the Holy Spirit took me through a little history lesson that uh, started with the first century church and everything she went through. And he asked me a question, you know, the Holy Spirit speaking inside of me, wasn't a voice outside of me, but he asked, this he said don't you think my grace was sufficient for them and you gotta remember they went through the the early church went through the destruction of their city of jerusalem and the old way that they had all been attached to there weren't very many uh in 70 a.d uh at that point in time when we think of the church and the believers there weren't that many greek believers it was just beginning to be on this change in, in the understanding, the expression of God's love to the earth. And so most of it was to Jews. Most of them living in Jerusalem or other large cities in the Middle East. So what they were going through was destruction. They saw the temple destroyed, which was a promise that Jesus gave and they actually are watching the whole thing happen. If you read some of the history books and what some people have written about it, it's actually incredible when you read 70 AD and what was going on because they, they were saved. They actually had heeded the prophecies that we read in Luke about that destruction and there's not known any believers that died with the destruction of Jerusalem. Remember when he said, flee to the hills? They went, feet don't fail me now. And they got out of there where he said, woe to you if you're in childbirth and all that. They got out and they survived. Well, the Lord just kept taking me through a history lesson 
speaking to me about, he said, the period of time that, that you called the dark ages wasn't my grace sufficient for my church. He said, in the period of time that you called, you know, the great world wars, he didn't say he called them that, we called him that. He said, wasn't my grace. And he just kept taking it on through the lesson and then brought it back to Paul. And he said, with my servant Paul, didn't I ask him with everything that he went through, isn't my grace sufficient for you? And then he got real sensitive with me and he said, in your life, in your life and everything you've gone through, and I haven't gone through the horror that some have gone through. I went through my own horrors. Isn't my grace sufficient for you? God's grace is sufficient for the time that we live in and we wrap our, uh, you know, what is faith? Faith is believing in God. We wrap our God belief, our God talk, our God ideas, our God language, our internalization. We wrap that around by faith who God is and declare the right things. So that's what we've been looking at. What do, what do we do in times of turmoil? Um, you know, part of me wants to pray God's judgment and great destruction on, on Putin. i just be honest with you. But he never called me to actually do that with anybody. <laughs> actually, what we should be praying for that man is that he gets saved. Because God loves him every bit as much as he loves each of us. Isn't that phenomenal? Who but God could think up that? That for the worst lot of us, he intends salvation. Will he save him? I don't, I don't know. You don't know. So that's why we pray. You know, should we not pray against evil? Uh, yes, you can. But be careful when you indicate people in that. Uh, Romans is very clear that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for the, actually what it says is for the ungodly. So we pray for those in leadership in such a way that God's salvation would come to them. If we believe in the gospel, then we must believe the gospel for all. That it's powerful enough to never come short. Did it come short in your life? No, his grace was sufficient for all these things. God's grace is sufficient. Now, would I like to strike them with the lightning bolts coming out of my eyes? Sometimes, but then sometimes that's pretty close to home. And, uh, you know, and then I'm reminded when, when the disciples were talking, or not the disciples, when the group of people were talking about why the tower at Siloam fell on those people and, and what had they done that God wanted to take them out like that. And he said, you don't know what you're talking about. And what he's really saying is you, you're not completely in an understanding manner of who God is. So that's why the gospel of grace is so important. We did Ephesians, or excuse me, Philippians 4 this past week. And looking at what to meditate on. What, what do we put our thoughts in? What do we, how do we go after that? And, uh, and in verse 9, uh, it, I, I don't think we should ever disconnect verse 8 and verse 9. Um, when you disconnect verses, you're going to find judgment and bad stuff. 
and you'll find an equation that's incomplete. Always read through the whole thought of the writer of scriptures. When you, when you unplug it, that's when we get into that, um, that issue where it can be a very condemning Christian message when you don't read the whole thing. Read the whole thing. So if you read Ephesians 9, so you can take away in Ephesians 8 where he says, look, think on these things, and you can, if that's where you stop, you can go, well, if I don't think on those things, I must be bad, incomplete, lacking, why can't I think right? All of a sudden, your self-talk starts just deviating from everything. So this is what verse 9 says, and then we'll move on. It's this. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Why didn't he tell him to search the scriptures and find those things? Because he didn't have it. That didn't exist. This, which we call holy scriptures now, is what existed. So Paul said, what did you learn from me? And you have to ask your same question of yourself again through troubling times. What have I learned from Paul? What did I receive from Paul? Now there's other writers, and I'm not casting any of them aside. You want to take the whole counsel of God. You want to take all that. But Paul brought this understanding to us. I was telling somebody this week, that man, if there was only one letter, only one chapter, one book, let me put it that way, one book that of all the Bible, if I could have it, that would make my life okay, would be Romans. I, I find it there. I find the gospel there, and I find the explanation of what the gospel really is and how God portrays it unto me. Now, the others add everything, but I tell you what, the meat is right there, you know, in, the, in Paul's, uh, some theologians refer to it as his great treatise and uh, his great statement of what he got from God to deliver to us. So what have you learned from Paul? Remember me saying, I'm going to leave you with this? It was the end of last week. I hope some of you did the exercise, you know. What are you familiar with with his teachings? And I laid out the the five major themes of life that, that I've learned from Paul and that I probably, uh, if you'll notice, um, I would say 90 to 95% of my teaching always comes under these five themes. God's unconditional love, justification by faith alone, co-union with Christ, eternal security, and blessed abundance of life. Those are the five themes that you will find that are in the gospel as explained to us and taught to us by Paul over and over and over again. Now, does it have variations on the theme? Sure. But this is the main, this is the main frame. This is the, the foundation. This is the operating system that we were given to look at it. So... Um, I've often wondered if some people think I teach about it too much, but I don't think you can because of this, when we look at this. And here's the first one. The first major theme of the gospel of grace is God loves me 
unconditionally. You can't say it enough to yourself. You can't say it enough to other people. This, this is the... Uh, remember, how many have read the books of Narnia in, in C.S. Lewis? Okay, where he goes, the old foundation stone, this is the foundation. This is the foundation. What, what C.S. Lewis wrote and called for children, the deep magic. Well, Narnia is for more than children. Yeah, he primarily wrote it for children. <laughs> but I understand that adults can learn a lot if they become childlike in their hearts. And he understood that too. So it has depth to it. And the depth is that the deep magic was found in God's love. This is something you never want to leave. In troubling times... You need a greater understanding of God's unconditional love than at any time in life. Wherever there's a transition in your life, wherever there's a time of, and, and that can be something as uh, moving from adolescence to teens to young adult life to mature life to really old and a little bit over the hill life. You still need the foundation. God loves me Unconditionally, Why is this the foundation? Because it is God's agape love that broke the back and brought Jesus, broke the back of sin and brought Jesus. Sin distorts our view of love. Sin distorted the view of God's love in the garden. How much of that was like factual and I don't know. I've heard those arguments for so long and so often. All I know is this. Before Adam and Eve fell, they understood God and had a relationship with him and were not afraid. When sin comes in, all of a sudden they don't understand who God is. They hide from him and, and they're scared. They're scared to death. Sin breaks the ability to understand and receive God, agape love. Uh, think of the, think of all the people. Do you believe in heaven? Yeah, for real. Okay, heaven is filled with witness. Now we think that the witnesses are looking at us and are being witnesses of our life. They're looking at God in unbroken love and they are the witness of God's love to us. They're not trying to witness what we're going through. You don't have to pray for them to help us get through this. They are the witness beholding God in his, his majestic, unhindered love for everybody and they are witnessing that. Isn't that astounding? Writer of Hebrews in Hebrews twelve says they are, and they, they use the, the, you know, the, the gender language, but they are just men made perfect. I made perfect. They see perfectly. We are going to be that witness, and we can be that witness here. So we use a Greek word when we talk about unconditional love, because there's only one word you can use. And actually, when we say, I want to have agape love for you, uh, good luck with that. <laughs> Ain't going to happen. You can try and agape me as much as you want, but you're not God. 
you can be a witness and a reflection of God's love to me and I can receive that as such, but there's only one who can agape me. There's only one who has this kind of love and that's God. And it's clearly defined as, you know, so often we use the word unconditional, but really what it is is it's unhindered. Because when we wrestle with the conditions that we think that are on it, what we're doing is we're hindering God's love to come to us. Sin, the amazing thing about sin, sin has a power to remove you from seeing, understanding, believing, and learning about God's unhindered love for you. We think sin can hinder us. That's the power of sin. It's like got a double lie in it. First it tells you it's going to give you pleasure, and it doesn't, except for a season. And then it tells you that because of that, you can't receive the love of God. Sin was a dastardly thing. Sin is the exact opposite of who God is. It's the exact opposite of agape love. Uh, this term, agape, Greek term for love, has been so, I don't want to say abused, but we've kicked it around so much that I think it loses its potency. Sometimes that happens because we only read the scriptures to that certain point, what I said earlier. We don't read the next verses. Um, Jesus demonstrated and God demonstrated agape love when he sent his son. Jesus is God's agape love. Unconditional, unhindered love. And that hasn't changed. He came here, when he came in human flesh, he was revealing God's agape love. Now, in resurrection, guess what he's doing? Revealing God's unhindered love for you. Nothing can get in the way. So when I go through times of trouble, and I'm not going to quote Paul Simon. <laughs> I saw some of you go in there. You were sure the way Lloyd always talks. He's going to weave something old into this. I'm not. But when we come to this understanding, see, this kind of love, it says in Ephesians 3, goes beyond human understanding. We, we find it in this. It's immeasurable. Now, that's hard for a finite mind to think about that. There is no measure in the universe except the cross of Christ. That is the one measuring stick we have. So he, he tells us in Ephesians 3, Paul prays this, that you would be rooted and established in love and may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is, and the word love there is agape, is the love of Christ. And to know this love, and here's the mind blower, that surpasses understanding. Well, when I'm in a time of trouble and things look really bleak, 
What I need is an understanding and ask for a love of God to come to me that lifts me out of that, that it goes beyond my understanding of what's going on. I keep trying to think through it and go, those idiots in Washington. I've never seen anything so stupid in all my life. Yes, you have. <laughs> you know, I've seen a lot of stupid things. So have you. But God's love gets me to grasp something that's beyond that, that gives my heart an assurance. And, and, and I go, oh, man, this isn't too big for God. See, whenever I spend my focus on what the circumstances are and what's going on, they get bigger. And, they, and then that becomes a shadow. It's like a, a cloud. And it inhibits me to see God's love. When I change my thoughts and my meditations in my heart and I start focusing on and just singing simple, Jesus loves me, this I know, sing a simple song. And you start singing it to yourself, all of a sudden the shadow starts, you know, and it's just like watching Harry Potter. How do you get rid of the dementors, you know? It's just a cloudy, ugh, you know, demonic thoughts raging, uh, the thoughts against me. How are we going to get through this? What will happen to my money? What will, and, we, and we, whatever you start doing on the what ifs, you forgot the but now. But now God is able. He can do this stuff. We get scared in times of trouble. And then we start looking at things that we maybe have done right and wrong and why we're deserving some of this. Either individually or corporately. That is the nasty Oh, if I could string a whole bunch of bad words together and get away with it, I would. That is the nastiness of sin and what it does. When I receive God's love, all I have to do, and try I've tried, talked about this before, go to 1 Corinthians, where we always use this at a wedding. Love is, you know, it defines love. Take the word love out and put God in there. Just where it says it in 1 Corinthians. God doesn't keep any record of your wrong. Now, theologically, that's a hurdle. And I'm telling you, God made you enough of a track star and knocked that hurdle down that you can still run the race. It's a hurdle that's in the way that somehow I've done something. And how you can usually do this is, uh, and people that do comparisons, this is where they stumble. Oh, I believe God forgives you. But I don't know, I just can't get beyond this one. Is that true? Do you believe that? Do you know that? Do you repeat that to yourself? You know? Lather, rinse, repeat. Lather, rinse, repeat. You know, I'm trying to get you to use a whole lot more prel, but God doesn't keep any, any record of wrong. 1 Corinthians 13. 
no record of wrongdoing in your life. When? Now. How come it keeps coming up? Because when troubles hit, your brain goes there. Why? Don't know. It is the weakness of sin that has destroyed this planet. But when things aren't going well, old stuff comes up in my head. And I go back to equation living and go, this and this happened because I did. And you go, oh, I so believe God forgave that. And then, then how come it comes back up? Lather, rinse, repeat. Lather, rinse, repeat. Wash it. Hebrews tells us to have our conscience sprinkled with blood. Racing it so that I, I know I'm not condemned, but I'm telling you, when bad times happen, I wonder what's, you know, and you, uh, I won't do that. Um, no, I start thinking that way. Does love endure? Well, God's love does. Agape love endures. God won't love you less tomorrow. He's not going to love you more tomorrow. He loves you right now. And you don't have to get the flower and pull the petals off. He loves me. He loves me not. You don't have to do any of that. God's love is a perfect love that actually John is talking about. He says it casts out what? Fear. Fear is always tied to sin. Because sin is always tied to judgment. And the kind of fear, and I know we use the scriptures that God has not given us a you know, spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. We always use that, and it's not wrong to use it that way. But actually in 1 John, the kind of fear he's talking about is the judgment of God over you. He's not talking about that you're scared to get on trains and can't understand why. It was because you got thrown on the railroad tracks when you were four. It's not that, and it's not that kind of fear. This is a fear that when things haven't gone right for us, we always wait. Uh, we even have an old sayings about it. Well, wonder when the other shoe's going to drop. That's an idiom saying, hey, you got a little good now, but hang on, tough times are coming. And it totally is devoid of the unhindered love of God. It tries to get me to rationalize. I can, I can grab this really good when everything's going well. When things aren't going quite as good as I had all my plans laid out. There's something else to talk about. But uh, when those are all laid out and it doesn't go well. Anybody ever been spent any time in jail? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> Anybody else been arrested for a crime that they did commit? It's so frightening. It's so we watch all these cop programs. So I was stupid. In my younger days, I'm really smart now. <laughs> right, Jesus? But in my younger days, I wanted to make some money 
so that I could get engaged officially and have a ring to give to my uh, girl. So I did this arrangement in which I would use my car to help do a dope deal down in Nogales, Arizona on the border when there were still holes in the fence just like there are today. And uh, I went about doing that with another guy that I had uh, spent too much time sinning with in the country of Turkey. And he convinced me that we wouldn't have to do anything but be the mules, be the go-between in between. Well, we got caught. <laughs> we thought we got away with it. And we sort of did and sort of didn't. But it was mostly it was just the mercy of God. Um, everything took a long time and it went fine. Except we used my car and I was on the American side and the other guy was on the Mexican side. And we got stuff passed through for uh, these hippies from Oregon. They're always from Oregon. And I was by this hotel where you can go down and you can see the, the port of entry and you can see where customs was at and everything. And I'm watching them tear my car apart. And all of a sudden the seats are coming out of my little sports car and I'm going, oh no. And thinking, my I got a pool cue in there that's like $125 and all my uh, wonderful rock and roll tapes. Remember you had to carry a big box around for your cassette player in the car. No such thing as a thumb drive. And all this stuff, and I watched it, watched it, watched it. And finally, they released him after about 90 minutes. I see my car pull out, and he comes to pick me up. The windows broke out of the back. Uh, Customs didn't do that. His name was, no, I better not. <laughs> this guy who still re is, remains nameless so we start driving out of Nogales, and if you've ever been to Nogales, Arizona, it has from where the borderline is, there's this long stretch of road that does this circle around the side of a, not a mountain, but pretty close to a mountain. And we're coming out there, and all of a sudden, no red lights. A car zips in front of us. One pulls in behind us, and one pulls up beside of us, and we got moved over to the side of the road. And the window down, it's hot, it's Arizona. And this guy comes up and sticks a full-on 38 right in my face. And he says, freeze, U.S. Customs, put your hands on the dash. Now, we all watch the cop shows, and those guns, they just look like guns. When one is pointed four inches from your face, it looks like a howitzer. <laughs> that thing looked that big around. I, was going, I can't tell you how many sins flashed in front of my eyes in that moment. <laughs> if it wasn't all of them, it was pretty close. When times of trouble start coming in, then uh, that's when I think it's the enemy. I don't know how to explain it. Can you define why that happens? No, but I know this, and I wish I would have known it then. God's unbroken love is there at that point in time because that thing that you did, God will never bring up. I bring it up to tell you 
Sort of a funny story, sort of a scary story, sort of a story that tells you how stupid I was. But I'm not that stupid anymore. Because God's love came in and rescued me. It resurrected me. Changed my view of things in the earth. Whenever times of trouble come in, the thing you have to meditate on and receive in your life over and over and over and over again. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. He will never remember a wrong. He lets me bring that up. He's never brought that up to me. All the things that I did, all the things you did, yes, all of them, even right down to the crossing T and dotting the I, are gone. When? When I enter heaven? Now. Now. In my life now. Did this happen because I don't eat right? No, stop it. We do these silly things. Don't. Do the wise thing. Go to God's love. Go to God's love. It's the go-to place. Nothing can get in the way of it. This is God. If this isn't the foundation stone of your life, I'm going to tell you, then you don't understand Jesus and you're living a form of Christianity that is not the gospel of grace that Paul preached. And, I, and you don't hear me use this word very often. That's where you need to repent. <laughs> to repent and turn and receive the gospel again. Don't let anything get in the way. When you start to, it becomes a howitzer. It becomes big. It gets magnified. I want to magnify God's love. How do I? You're making it very complex. No, just sing a song. Oh, how he loves you and me. Sing a simple song of God's love to you. It's filled with what he says. Romans says there's nothing that can stop it, not even death. It's right there at the end of chapter 8. Nothing can get in the way of it. Not what you've done, not what you're going to do, not what you might do, not what you were thinking about doing. Nothing can hinder it. Is this not stunning? I want revival. Oh God, resurrect my thoughts to live in your unconditional love. What a revival I've got. <laughs> Revive me again in his love. May I pray for you? I'm going to anyway. I guess what I want to say is, will you receive this this morning? You need, you need a refresher course. This really is Jesus 101. Receive it again this morning. Jesus, you came. And in your purity and in your holiness as a human, it says that you took my sin upon yourself. You took it into you. Paul told me that you became sin so that I could be your righteousness. 
It's not magic. I don't have to get the words right. I don't have to do the equation a certain way. I don't have to... I don't have to do one thing but receive it. So I pray for each heart this morning that you would receive the love of God in Christ Jesus this day. That whatever worries and fears and thoughts are in your way, that they would be blown away by the unhindered love of God in Christ Jesus. You are my love and I receive it that your love, that love will endure forever. It will not go away. And I receive you into my thought life, into my feel life, into my experience life, I receive that again by faith in your Son. Amen.